W-H-Y-Y and BillyPenn.com. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to recap this Philly series against the Minnesota Twins and talk about the homestand as a whole, ending on a disappointing note as the Phillies lose two out of three to Minnesota. What do we make of this of this homestand and, and everything that took place here over these, uh, over these last 10 days, these last 10 games as the Phillies get ready to uh, get a little break this week in the schedule in terms of days off at least and uh, we'll look ahead also we'll talk a little bit about uh, alumni weekend at citizens bank park every old philly you can imagine seem to be on tv this weekend and so we'll talk about all of that uh in the next few minutes here on this episode of the podcast joining me is my good buddy justin clue from baseball prospectus and billy pan and of course uh, you can hear his uh podcast the dirty inning and absolutely hammered over at the hit and season patreon go to patreon.com slash hit and season to, to uh, listen to those outstanding phillies podcasts as well justin it's hitting season phillies didn't hit at all this weekend how you doing buddy you know, when the weekend started, the Phillies led all of baseball in home runs for the month of August. Did you know this? They had 24 home runs as a team coming into uh, the weekend series against the Twins, and wow. there's, their total for May was 23. They outpaced <laughs> their total for May in the, less than the first two weeks of August. They were tied yeah. for the highest team uh, isolated power, and they were tied. They were one point behind the Braves in team slugging percentage. They were finally hitting the ball in the way that you had expected them to all season long and th- that they had pretty much failed to and had learned to adapt. Like the narrative had changed and they had at the deadline decided, all right, we're going to go in on pitching. We're going to focus on that. Um, you know, this is the, this may not have been the, been the team we designed, but it's the team we have. So let's just, you know, let's, let's, let's be open to the idea that this is just a different kind of successful team. And then what do you know? The home runs start coming and yeah. they start hit, being able to hit for power. <laughs> and it's a very encouraging homestand and they, they win two series against two lousy teams. And it looks like they're going to be able to pick up some, uh, some momentum here against Minnesota and then they won one game so hard, it could have won all three games and then lost the other two. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't think if you're looking for answers or definitions anymore, you know, we're just we're past that. This yeah. is uh, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be messy. As we saw today, that can also mean drama. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've realized after this homestand, and the Phillies went six and four on this ten game homestand. They took two out of three from the Royals. We, of course, remember they took three out of four from the Nationals, including the Lorenzen no hitter, uh, and then they lose two out of three to the first place Twins. I, I think I've been waiting f- to make declarations about this team all season long. They're back. They're here. The offense is ready. Trey Turner's ready to do it. Nick Castellanos is, you know, like, I'm ready to to make some definitive statements about what this team is and what they're going to do. And there's just, that that's not what this team is. That that's And really, there are very few teams in, in Major League Baseball where you can say that. And even, and, and I think having some perspective, losing two out of three to a first place team like the Minnesota Twins, who have good pitching. <laughs> I mean, the, okay. the, that's they do have good pitching, but let's, yes. I just feel like we're being generous by characterizing them. Well, they're a first place team. I know we all that they're know barely over five hundred. Central <laughs> divisions, the state of the central divisions right now, the crumbling pillars in the middle of both of these leagues. So I'm just saying 
this uh, homestand had a really disappointing end for me. It did. And, it uh, did. This was an entirely beatable team. I'm not giving yeah. them any credit. But, well, they're in first place. Nah, not, not to Well, I, I, I think what happened was we watched the Phillies beat up on some truly terrible pitching that the Royals and Nationals were throwing at them. I mean, it was just, there were some dregs. And and when Minnesota threw Dallas Keuchel at them on Friday night, whatever the rotting carcass of Dallas Keuchel was that was out there on, on Friday, they destroyed that man into retirement. Or at least he should be announcing his retirement at some point this week. But then they get Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray, both of whom are pitching really, really well. I know the Phillies after the game, Alec Bohm was one of them, said they just had never seen Sonny Gray before and it, they had trouble with him. But they, they wasted a ton of opportunities in these last two games and it is incredibly frustrating and disappointing and infuriating when you go 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position like they did on Saturday night leaving nine on base it is incredibly frustrating when you go 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position on Sunday leaving eight runners on base including two bases loaded situations in which they scored nothing and we're going to talk about the one in the seventh inning coming up here in just a few minutes where Alec Bohm got essentially robbed of an RBI walk but I will say just for perspective here it was the end of a string of 17 games in 17 days and you're facing better starting pitching here. I agree with you. This was a series the Phillies probably should have won. They're a, I think they are clearly a better team than the Twins. I wonder if, though, the combination of Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray and maybe the end of that 17 games in 17 days, maybe this team just running out of gas a little bit here towards the end of this homestand. I think both of those things factored in to why this was a disappointing end, why the bats, the offense, the home runs disappeared entirely here in these last two games. Better starting pitching from the Twins, and I think these guys just got tired. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of people who would have been uh, pleased with a seven and three homestand be really upset about a six and four homestand because that's yeah I mean that just felt like by the time the twin series was starting this was locked in as like a great homestand for the Phillies I don't think anybody expected to see them lose as disappointingly as they did in uh, in the last game today but that really is the difference you know and the two yeah. games they lost against the Royals and the Nationals were both very winnable games. I think they I was even very characterizing them as as like they had them won. Those were won they games. Did. Like they, they yeah. you could already you were already counting that. Uh, so they let those those two losses slip through their fingers. And I think uh, people would have been a lot more willing to forgive that had they won this series as well. Uh, but because they didn't, and because they didn't in the in the fashion that they have lost so many frustrating games this season already, it uh, I think it just it was, it was a bad note to go out on. And it's no, uh, no there's it, no doubt. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, Ranger Suarez was characterizing it like, yeah, you know, you go out there and we're all given 110%, and sometimes you just lose, and that's baseball. And there is some truth to what he was saying there, of course. Like, the, it, the Phillies weren't going to win 10 games of this homestand, even though they certainly could have because they were playing some lousy teams and they were hitting their stride. But uh, the losses that ended this homestand were really, I think, different from the first couple they went through because it was – they were really showing some some weaknesses that had looked like to be coming strengths, you know, right yeah. right when they were coming into their own as a power hitting team. Suddenly the bats went away the night after they absolutely demolished twins pitching. And, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, not seeing a pitcher, uh, not having a lot of experience with a pitcher, not knowing what he's going to throw in that big moment is is going to impact your ability to uh, your, your, is going to impact your approach. And also getting absolutely screwed by the umpires is also yeah. going to mess with your yeah. approach. So there are some <laughs> yeah. other factors at play here, but in general, that's not 
not gonna that's not gonna do much for people's disappointment, including my own. It's it, it yeah. could have gone another way. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to talk about that, um, the Sunday game here, and what happened in the seventh inning with Alec Bohm in just a second. Um, let's give an update on the wild card really quickly, because even with losing two out of three to the Twins, uh, the Phillies still have, they're tied for the third best record in the National League. They're tied with the Brewers at 65 and 54. The Brewers, of course, are the NL Central leaders. Uh, the Phillies at 65 and 54, they're 11 games over 500. They're three games up on the Marlins in that third for that third wild card spot so the Phillies still firmly entrenched uh, in the wild card picture and they are still one and a half games up on the 40 on the 49ers from the Giants San Francisco Giants uh for the on this for the first wild card spot so the Giants are a game and a half behind the Phillies in wild card spot two the Marlins now move into the third wild card position and they're a half a game ahead of the Cubs a game ahead against uh, ahead of the Reds two and a half up on the Arizona Diamondbacks but um I, I think even with the way this team, how much meat they left on the bone. And I feel like that's the comparison. Like they just, they, like you said, they had these couple of these games, one, like that game against the nationals, they lost, you know, they're up four to two late after the Harper home run and the Stott RBI. And then uh joy Manessis hits two late home runs. And uh, this game on Sunday was, was just infuriating. And the seventh inning was the turning point, And that's what you were referring to a second ago. Phillies are down two nothing. They'd really had trouble since the first couple innings, getting anything going for some reason, uh, the Twins pull Sonny Gray after like 80 pitches and six innings, and they, they go to the bullpen. So the Phillies certainly see an opportunity here to take advantage of the fact that the Twins, for some reason, are taking out the starting pitcher who has owned them throughout the course of the game. Uh, they get uh, the bases loaded for Alec Bohm, who comes up to the plate with one out. And in a moment of sheer fury felt by everyone in the Delaware Valley on a 3-2 pitch Alec Bohm takes a takes a pitch that is clearly 6 to 8 inches inside and he starts to make his way towards first base for a walk would have made it 2 to 1 Bryce Harper coming up to the plate with the bases loaded and just one out down 2 to 1 and instead this rookie umpire just called up from the minors Alex McKay rings him up on a called third strike Bohm smashes his you know spikes his bat into the ground much the same way that Reese Hoskins did when he hit the home run off of Spencer Strider in the playoffs last year. McKay, of course, kicks Bohm out of the game, and then a couple batters later, kicks uh, an inning later, kicks Rob Thompson out of the game when McKay rings up Harper on a pitch uh, in the in the eighth inning that was clearly low and outside the strike zone. Just this that was that is a moment that completely flipped the game on its head. I don't know if the Phillies would have come back to win. Who knows? Maybe Harper it's into a double play. The Twins get that third run and they still win. But you never know because the umpire. Re it should not have been in that position to call that to, to call that pitch. These guys, we we saw it with the guy who missed all those calls at first base uh, yeah. earlier in the oh, home I stand. Gonna, I was going to bring that up too. I mean, what, was that guy also a rookie umpire? I yes, mean, he was also a call up. Yeah, like the you're seeing a lot of unpolished, let's say, umpiring coming up out of the minors, and uh, yeah, you know, obviously experience is going to be a factor, but at the same time, you got to just make that call. And, you know, umps are going to miss calls. They're going to miss balls and strikes. It's going to happen. Uh, but, man, in a moment like that where you can really see, if you wanted to suggest that he only called him out because Bohm started heading to first before the call was made, you know, I think you could you could talk me into that. That wouldn't take a lot of convincing. And with that being how the game, the game really hinged on that moment, 
yeah, that, it's it's just completely inappropriate. I mean, what is there what is there to say at this point about umpiring, especially these young umpires who come up and really think they have to like make a name for themselves, or like when an umpire gets embarrassed, they think they have to like take it out on everybody. But it's like no, you just. This is why the, the replay system exists for that guy at first base. It's like, yeah, because the call is going to get right, even if you can't make it for some reason. Uh, and then obviously balls and strikes are a different animal. But look, Alec Bohm doesn't doesn't act like that. Alec no, not he's a hot never. St- no, not he at is all. Not, he is not tightly wound. He <laughs> nope. is not throw his equipment angry. So to see him like that was almost unnatural, too. So, you know, you know, he's not going to go off the deep end just because a guy missed a close pitch. No, that ball was out of the zone, and he knew it because in that situation, he's exactly who you want up there for the Phillies because he's their yeah. best hitter with runners in scoring position. So, yeah, you got you almost learned everything you needed to know from that reaction and who was giving it because it was so out of character for him. And I'm done with human beings calling balls and strikes, Justin, and this is where I know a lot of the conversation was going on Twitter. Fair enough. Been, Let's go there. I'm done because it's not just the rookie the young guys who are coming up it's it's epidemic throughout baseball the home the umpiring behind home plate has been atrocious this year and it's been trending downward and i know i know umpires are having a lot more responsibility thrown their way with all the with the pitch timer and, and having to uh, uh make sure that uh, hitters and pitchers are are uh, making are, are addressing the timer correctly and that they're not you know stepping off when they should they've got a lot more to think about and i don't know if maybe that is is having an effect on their ability to call balls and strikes but if that's the case then we've got the technology to make sure that balls and strikes are called correctly. Like, you shouldn't have games turning on some idiot behind home plate who can't clear see that a, a pitch six to eight inches off the plate is clearly a ball in a huge spot. That just, we we don't need to do this to ourselves. For everybody, I know there was, before the the, the, the Universal DH came around, I, I was, I was fight, I felt like I was fighting the world to try and convince people that the, that the Universal <laughs> DH was good. Now, I don't think, I don't hear anybody still calling for pitchers to hit. I think pretty much everybody has accepted the Universal DH and think that it's a fine and good thing and nobody misses the old way. It's going to be the same exact thing when we go to, when we go to robot balls and strikes people are going to wonder did we actually ever have human beings doing this job in big spots oh yeah with tons of tons of stuff on the line we had we led it up to umpires who like you said yeah okay maybe he missed a pitch that was six inches off the plate or maybe he decided in that moment he was personally offended and wanted to act out but it was one of those two things and they're <laughs> both unacceptable bad (laughs) they cannot be reasons that uh, a a moment hinges in a game like the umpire should not be the reason for anything like like that should that should not happen and we know this we yeah every time every year the phillies get a a game like this that uh, an umpire blows a call and we got to sit here and fume about it and you know i'm just burned out like just you brought these guys up they're rookie umpires so clearly you've worked out how to move umpires between the major and minor leagues and just like players you need to establish that they belong in the major leagues. And yeah, you know, small sample size today when some calls didn't go our way and, and the calls from uh, from that first base disaster of a game all got overturned and the right call was inevitably made. So, you know, clearly we're capable of correcting this system, but it doesn't work when you say, no, he can he made the call here. His motivations for calling it, whatever they are, are correct. The union's too strong for you to really uh, combat them on anything. They don't have to really answer questions about it after the game if they don't want to. And if you want him to be held accountable in any way, well, 
tough. Like that's just <laughs> that's just not gonna happen. I don't know what to tell you. He'll probably go back to the minors when whoever he's filling in for gets back from vacation. But that guy's aspiration is to be a major league umpire one day. And he's not done making calls like this. But I think the more worrisome part is because again, umpires are going to blow calls. They're gonna do that. Most of the time they won't. But every umpire is gonna blow a call. It happens every night. That's why you look at those ump report cards. None of them are a hundred percent. But no. ball, as far as like balls and strikes, if you're approaching your job and and uh, you, you're capable of thinking, yeah, sometimes I'm just going to screw a guy over because I don't like how he reacted. If that's generally how you're approaching your job, then that's telling us that not only are you going to screw this up now, you're planning to screw, screw things up later in the future as well. And I just think it's a ridiculous amateur approach uh, to a position on which a lot of baseball games hinge, like today. I, I will say that and I don't know that I'm right about this. I think you, you could just as much of a possibility that you could be right, but I don't get the sense that this guy rung up Alec Bohm because Bohm started walking towards first base. He missed a lot of pitches in this game. I just, you know, he, he missed that Bryce Harper call in an inning later. And, and he missed, there was an even worse strike call against Alec Bohm earlier in the at bat. I think it was the second pitch that was, that was even further inside that, that got called a strike. I mean, it's just, he was bad. He's just a bad umpire. And he maybe, maybe one day he'll be a good one. But he's not a good one right now. And he cost that's, the f- that's something that I think we just need to accept and that baseball needs to accept is that some guys just aren't good umpires. They're yeah, just well, not. <laughs> and I don't like, know what metrics we're using down in the minors for the to, to decide who they, they call up. And I don't know if nerves has something to do with it with, with some of these guys, and that's certainly possible. I want to try and, you know, as a young umpire, it's not like it's it's not like we're talking about C B Buckner here or Angel Hernandez no, who and that's what I mean. been like, bad for uh, decades. Yeah, I'm not talking about these guys who again it was it was a bad day. We're mad about it because it uh, it impacted the Phillies negatively. But yeah, what I'm saying, like there's bad umpires, we all know who we're talking about. Yeah. And they've been yeah. in the game for like like you just said, for decades and decades, for generations. So, yeah, it's, it sucks that we still are are trying to perfect baseball and make it more efficient. But for some reason, this component of it never really gets touched. And when you mm. do, the umpires come back with like, well, how dare you assume like umpires integrity and ability to do his job. And you're going to bring in robots because you don't have faith in us. And then you just point at days like this. Point at report cards like on a nightly basis would be like, what? You got 89% of your calls right. Do you know how low that is? Yeah. If we're bringing in robots, we're at least going to try this because yeah. we have to. Because look at this. Like, come on. <laughs> give us a break. And there's nothing they can do about it. Nothing the Phillies can do about it. You can't protest the game. You can't protest anything. You just chalk it up to an L and, and you just got to you gotta live with it for, for 48 hours now until you play the Blue Jays on, on Tuesday. Um, weird week coming up for the Phillies. Even off day on Tuesday. On Monday, they play the Blue Jays Tuesday, Wednesday, then have another off day on Thursday before they come to Washington for a series against the Nationals. But, um, yeah, they just got to kind of eat it and, 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 and just swallow it. And, you know, I... The, the, we were talking about the vibes a lot over the last week with this with this Phillies team, and this doesn't change that. I don't think. I don't think losing these two games necessarily means that you know the good times are over. That we're you know all the all the good feelings we were feeling during the course of the National Series and after the first game of the Twin Series that it's necessarily all gone. But I look back at these last few series and I look at the wins totals, and you know you can say sure the Phillies are in a really great position still in the wild card. They're tied for the third best record in the National League. What more do you want, Stolness? Well, you lose two out of three to the Pittsburgh Pirates in that first series before the homestand. And then, you know, you you take 
two out of three against the Royals. But again, you, you could have won one of those games, that, that game that you lost against Kansas City. Um, you win three out of four against the Nationals, and that's fantastic. But again, that loss that you had in there could have could have easily been a win. And then you lose two out of three to the Twins. You had two series losses in there and two series wins in there against teams that are really beatable. And so I, I'm... I'm not fussing about, you know, a six and four homestand. I'm not I'm not trying to really make a big stink about what, what the Phillies did because it was obviously successful enough. But do you feel unsatisfied after that string of games when when they had that run against the against the Pirates and the Marlins, the Royals, Nationals, and now the and now the twins? I think I said two series wins and two series losses. It was two a, a series loss, three series wins, and then a series loss at the end here. It was good. You know, it just, but it could have been more. And I don't know if that's just too greedy to be to be a little disappointed in in how the team kind of uh, played. Because, like you said, the offense came alive. The pitching's been fine. Like they've been good. It's maybe I'm just maybe my expectations are too high or I'm too wired. I don't know. Ah, uh, I feel like this team is just a has a perpetual case of almost there. And through things that are and aren't people's direct fault, that'll probably just always be the case. Like somebody's always going to be banged up. Uh, somebody's always going to be in the midst of a struggle, uh, but like they've clearly shown a bunch of different dimensions this year too. So they, I think they have more strengths than weaknesses at this point, and that's why you see, you know, at the end of the day with this stretch of games, they still won more than they lost. Obviously, we'd all like to see them, you know, burn through a bunch of beatable teams in a playoff race and go ten and zero before they start taking on uh, more challenging teams this month. Uh, but that's just, you know, again, that's not how baseball works. You know, that's a lot harder than it sounds. I was I was expecting them to win like 8 of 10. I thought a sweep of one of these teams was possible. But, you know, keeping it realistic by assuming you just got to settle for a series win. But I feel like every time this team has a good stretch of games, they always manage to stick a dud in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just to remind you of, of who they are. And I don't mean because they're a bad team. I mean because they're an imperfect team. They are yeah. a flawed team. But the fact that their their strengths have really started to overpower their weaknesses in in, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, j just not every case. I think that yeah. speaks to their yeah. future success. It's why I still think of them as a playoff team. I don't want to look past the rest of the regular season, but I feel like they have firmly established themselves in this playoff picture. And they didn't get to this point by being like really, really good. They got to this point by being really good enough. And yeah. we saw last year that that's enough to make a deep playoff run. You know, I want to see them win these winnable games as much as anybody, but I think we've seen enough of the Phillies in this era with these guys, and we know they can win ball games. They can, but they're gonna they're gonna slip up. They're gonna screw up. I mean, look at that uh, one of the games they won against the Nationals. That was like a, a carnival of errors. Uh, leading up to a, their eventual victory because they started hitting home runs in that game and it was like all right cool now they're now they're up by a comfortable lead and then and they, they're you know they're good but there was a bunch of bobbles on the field and base running gaffes and yeah just like a bunch of missteps but at the end of the day they won the game because they're capable of that so they're a, they're a little more loosely put together than some of these much more efficient and dominant teams but this is the kind of homestand I guess you could have expected though I really had uh, my heart set on you know seven or eight wins out of ten at, at, at least I really thought yeah. they were capable of that. So to see them go six and four is, you know, yeah, I would still say that I am unsatisfied by that, but I'm not despairing by any measure. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the right attitude. Disappointed a little bit, a little disappointed, but but not despairing, and just hopeful that um, they can, you know, 
turn the momentum back around and play well in Toronto this week. It's a tough place for them to play. They they historically don't play all that well in Toronto against the Blue Jays, and the Jays are hot. Their offense is starting to click a little bit, just like the Phillies' offense was starting to click, and they've got another couple of tough pitchers they're going up against here uh, during the course of the weekend. It'll be Zach Wheeler, the week. Uh, it'll be Zach Wheeler versus Yusei Kikuchi on Tuesday night. He's a very good pitcher. Uh, and then uh, they'll take on, it'll be Aaron Nola versus Kevin Gaussman, who uh, is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, this year, and Aaron Nola has not been one of the best pitchers in baseball. So a tough, <laughs> a tough matchup for the Phillies here both nights. Even with their supposed best two starters, uh, they're going to be going up against what I believe are Toronto's best two starters here in this series. It should be a really good series. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of runs scored here uh, in this series against Toronto. Um, but like you said, they tend tend to throw a dud in the mix here and there. Every National League wildcard team is doing the exact same thing, and they're throwing yeah. more duds into the mix than than the Phillies are. And so that's been the Phillies' saving grace. I mean, uh, the Cubs and Reds both lost, and they've been struggling. To I mean, the Cubs have finally cooled off a little bit. The Reds have really been struggling. Um, the the Marlins uh, won, so uh, but they had been struggling really badly. The Diamondbacks had been in free fall until finally righting the ship here during the course of the weekend. The Giants almost gave the Phillies an even bigger breather here on Sunday. I don't know if you saw any of this game, but uh, they had— um, Oh, what's his, what's uh, now the uh, name of the starting pitcher com- just flew right out of my head, but um, their really good uh, right-handed starter was one out away from uh, a shutout. He, he had nobody on, uh, two outs in the ninth inning. The, the, the Giants are leading uh, one to nothing. Logan Webb. Um, was just mowing the Rangers down, left and right. Uh, but then he gives up a two-out double in the ninth, and so Gabe Kapler comes out to get him. Uh, the bullpen allows a, a bloop single on the next pitch uh, for the Rangers to tie it up. Uh, the Rangers in the 10th inning score on a uh, like a, a pitch violation balk to allow the go-ahead run to to score, so it's two to one Rangers. Uh, the Rangers get two quick outs uh, in the t- in the bottom of the tenth inning. It looks like the Rangers are going to win, uh, and then because you have the the zombie runner on second, uh, Giants hitter smokes a, a two-run home run out to left center field uh, for a walk-off win for the Giants, made it three to two. Otherwise, the Phillies would have been two and a half games up on the Giants, and this loss on Sunday would have felt even better, or at least more palatable because you know the Giants have thrown in a lot of duds too here and their schedule is is really hard the next couple of weeks uh, including a, a series coming up in Philadelphia against the Phillies so um yeah I mean they've been, they've been very fortunate um I feel like this schedule is to the Phillies advantage you know I always I always uh I, I try to pull back how, how much like the schedule is going to impact the Phillies or other teams because this Phillies team specifically can win or lose against anybody but they definitely have a more favorable schedule, uh, as we just saw coming off this homestand, than teams like the Marlins and teams like the Giants. And that is, I think, an advantage for the Phillies. I also think the Phillies got a lot of their worst baseball out of the way early. I really do. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we've seen yeah, how the worst of how this team can play and the hole they had to crawl out of uh, from early in the season. And I think a lot of these other teams are due for stretches like that. And I think you're starting to see that. Um, especially with the Diamondbacks, so I think they're, they've got uh, they got some tough opponents ahead of them, and that's going to help the Phillies a lot because, like you said, they got to face now they got to face uh, guys like you say Kukuchi, who since June first has thrown sixty six innings and allowed only sixteen walks. So they yeah. have uh, they, <laughs> this is not going to be the homestand anymore. It's going to be a quick reminder. Yeah, and uh, looking ahead at the rest of the season, the San Francisco Giants have the fourth most difficult strength of schedule with an opponent winning percentage of 524. Miami's right behind them at 523. The Phillies are 11th, the 11th hardest strength of schedule at 507. Uh, the only other wildcard teams uh, that have an easier 
opportunity, an easier path, and I'm not going to count San Diego because I think they are done. Uh, the Reds are at number 22 with a 489 winning percentage left, and you have the Cubs have the fourth easiest road the rest of the way with a 475 winning percentage. So keep an eye on the Cubs simply because of their winning percentage. They're playing a lot of teams in their own division. Um, they could and a lot of teams in the AL Central. Uh, they could be sneaky. They could move up. But I think the Phillies are still in a good position, despite being disappointed with how the series and the homestand finished up. Um, let's talk real quick about Alumni Weekend, uh, Justin. There was basically any old head Philly that you liked. He was at Citizens Bank Park this weekend. Um and I guess, you know, I don't know with the with, as time passes, the different characters from these different teams and when they say stuff and as they age and the things that they do in their lives and with social media here, we get to know more about them. You know, they're not really necessarily the 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 heroes that we remember in in the jerseys, but it's st it's still good to see some guys. It's it's great to see guys like Steve Jeltz come back to Philadelphia like 40 years older you know it's just it's it's kind of a it's it's a fun weekend it was infuriating listening to the tv broadcast however because there was just <laughs> there was no addressing of the game being played on the field in front of them man it was it was there were times it was pretty difficult to take but uh the phillies generally speaking do these kinds of events well they do alumni weekend pretty well and this weekend they honored the 1983 and 1993 national league championship teams and so um I'm still unable to comprehend how the Wheeze Kids and Macho Row were only 10 years apart. You know, that's like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's thinking like this team and the 2013 team. That's like the same amount of, of, of distance between them. Did you, can you tell me, um, there were two Phillies players who played on both the 1983 Phillies and the 1993 Phillies. Do you know who they were? One's Dalton. Correct. Right? Yeah, because uh, I was going to say it's crazy. He caught Steve Carlton. That's such a bizarre yeah. connection. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, and the 83 and 93 teams. So, uh, shoot. you're going to kick yourself. It's a pitcher. Oh, okay. Okay. Hang on. Mo Holland. No, no. Ah. I'll, I'll give you a hint. You can listen to him on the radio almost every Phillies game. Fransky LA. Oh, Larry Anderson. Larry, Larry Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, yes. I was like, Ricky Patalico? That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Larry Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Larry Anderson was the, was the other member of both of those teams from 83 and 93. Um, so, yeah, very. You, what did you make of Alumni Weekend? And um, is there, you know, I know you like Shane Victorino, but like anybody else get you excited? Like if you were at Alumni Weekend and you were to run into somebody in the in the corridors or somebody like something like that, would you, is there anybody you'd be like, oh, I, I'd really love to meet this person? Well, unfortunately, to your earlier point, that uh, I think has come to uh, the, the idea that a some of these guys have really become terrible, problematic figures, and the Phillies will occasionally welcome one of them back with open arms. And when something like that happens, it really colors the entire experience for uh, for some people. It can leave a bad taste in your mouth uh, when you spend all weekend going like, well, why is this guy here? You know what the things he's said and done. And they're just like, ah, baseball. And you got to just like move on. And I, I do want to say that despite that being the case some years, it is awesome to see guys that you like, you know, as Phillies fans or or uh, uh, like historians and, and you know, as well, the kind of stories we tell in the dirty inning about old Phillies history and forgotten Phillies history is to see players come back to the organization, just like step out of these stories, guys, I never actually get to, got to saw uh, get to see 
get to guys I never got to see play. Yeah, uh, come back and you know, like just be part of it is cool, and it also is a testament to how well the Phillies do run this kind of stuff and how they how they see their franchise. Uh, in that all these guys are usually willing to come back and and hang out for the weekend, and everybody seems to look forward to it. And it does seem like a lot, you know, the season in a way rotates around this weekend every year because they make a big deal out of it. So, team chemistry, and they yeah. got they got team I mean, that's chemistry. Cool. Yeah. But I think uh, as far as like who I'll be excited to see at Alumni Weekend, it really does come down to who was your favorite team that you actually got to see play. So yeah. like 93 <laughs> is always, you know, I, that was the first team that got me into baseball when I was very young. So I, I do, you know, I always was, I used to enjoy reading about them a lot. And, and, you know, I think you just, you get exposed to the 93 team a lot as a Phillies fan because we all know there are isolated patches of success throughout their long history. And that was such an anomaly and a memorable team and a fun team. Um, so like I do enjoy, you know, I, I do enjoy seeing some members of that team around again. You know, it's funny to see Mariano Duncan around and hear Kevin Stocker on the radio broadcast. I mean, that stuff's cool that they're an organization that hasn't ostracized all these guys from their history for whatever reasons. Not every team has relationships with its former players the way the Phillies do, but I'll look forward to, yeah, when you start seeing guys from the generation we saw when we were like in Philadelphia, when we mm -hmm. uh, when Utley and Howard and Rollins and Victorino and Worth, and those guys have started to come back for stuff. Um, and to see them all there for the World Series last year was really cool. Uh, it was also just like a reminder of the passage of time, but it was like, yeah, <laughs> for a lot of us, that was, you know, that was our first uh, up close foray into successful Phillies baseball. And it is, it's cool that they're able to maintain that relationship with those guys. So yeah, as we get older, they'll be, they'll start being the faces you see around the park that weekend. And, and that'll be great. But you'll also see guys like Greg Dobbs and Scott Ayer and stuff. <laughs> and that's cool too. So I'm pretty sure West Scott Ayer, yeah. I'm pretty those sure guys. Scott Ayer hopped on the, uh, hopped in the booth one year after like having a few beverages too. And like, oh, yeah. you know, there's, there's this carnival atmosphere to it. That's, that's a lot of fun. So it is in general, a good thing. Unfortunately, you know, there's just some bad people out there. See, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what John Felsky's up to nowadays. He's got to be, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty up there in age. So it might be a difficult getting him, uh, getting him around. But man, I'd, I'd love to run into John Felsky and in, in a in the Carters and try to tell him the story of this podcast. <laughs> I used to do with this name, um, but yeah, no, that's it's it's a definitely it's definitely cool because I mean we do have these these favorite eras and I still um, for me it's like it's the Felsky era, the those late '80s teams with Von Hayes and I would love to meet Steve Jeltz. I really Really would I mean it's he was it's so funny like he was such a bad baseball player I think it, he it, for most people of the a, a more modern age it's he's the he was the Michael Martinez you know he, he stuck <laughs> around for forever for no real obvious reason other than just habit you know it's just well he's he's on our team I guess you know we can't really we can't get rid of him. I mean, he's on our team. And it was kind of that way with Steve Jeltz. Like there was never a, a moment where you felt like with Jeltz that he was going to become something, you know, he's just, he was a weak hitting glove and, and at shortstop and the Phillies didn't invest in, in shortstops like that. You know, Desi Relaford was the, the first big shortstop prospect. I remember from, from back in the day before Jimmy Rollins uh, came around. So, um, you know, it's just, it, there's so many different guys that when they come to, to these uh, alumni weekends that you could, that you could talk to, I'd love to, you know, I, would love to meet Utley, Howard, Rollins, Chooch, you know. Um, I think uh, Cliff Lee would be a fascinating person to meet. He would never come to an alumni weekend, I don't no, think. Like, I don't think you would okay. ever see him come back, and I'm fine <laughs> with that. I don't yeah. think he's a very nice guy, but that's kind of why I'd be curious um, to, to meet him. Hunter Pence seems like he'd be a fun guy to, to meet and to, 
to hang out with for a little bit yeah, of time. Yeah, I don't know how much he identifies with the Phillies at this point. I'm sure he doesn't. He, he I'm got sure he doesn't. in the Bay Area a lot yeah. more and was just there a lot longer. Yeah, he was barely here a minute. No doubt but about yeah, it. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely some names. And yeah, it's it's funny to see like guys like Jelts because they almost become... I don't know, like folk legends. They're folk to, heroes. To, yeah, yeah, they are. To people who uh, who didn't see them play and are just like, oh, yeah, I know that reference. Or like, mm-hmm. I heard the dirty inning about that guy. <laughs> uh, I Speaking of which, I obviously uh, it's not possible. But if if, uh, if there was any way for like, <laughs> if we had at least been around when Gene Mock could have come back for a, an alumni weekend, that would have been, I would have loved to have hear him just because that, that was one of his defining characteristics where his... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mannerisms, uh, you know, speech, <laughs> just you know, the things he would choose to say, his running commentary, what he believed, his logic uh, as to as it was applied during Philly's in-game moments. You know, I would just love to pick his brain because he's a very entertaining figure to read about. Yeah. Uh, well, they did a good job this weekend, as always. Again, I could have done with a little bit less of the uh, the in-game interviews. <laughs> yeah, so they were really banking on that banter session, covering for co- any kind of commentary over the game. I think they just imagined that being, I don't know, you tell me. Is there a demographic out there that was watching and was just like, yes, that is what I want? Because well, they wouldn't the, be doing the it if they it. didn't think people would like, that they wanted it. So there must be a generation of people who are like, oh, those are, here come those guys. Like they're sitting at the corner of the bar doing their, uh, doing their banter stuff and we're yeah. just overhearing them. I think the problem is that the 2023 Phillies are really interesting right now. And yeah. by comparison, talking to Jim Cott for hours on end isn't necessarily the <laughs> the thrill it might be. Like if this was like 2016 and you're just trying to get through a season and you're, you know, 17 games out of a wild card spot. So there's a little bit of difference in that these games really matter and we're really actually we care deeply about what's actually happening on the field with the the megastar players that are that are on the team. So that was that was part of it. It felt like a distraction. It was keeping me from and and also you know these games are faster now. There's the there's there's this pitch clock, so the pitches are coming one right after the other. When you used to have pitchers take a really long time and meander around, you had to fill that time with something. And so you could you could have Don Carmen come up to the booth, or you could have whoever they had come up to the booth this weekend and and chat for a little while to kind of fill some of that dead space and Major League Baseball. Baseball's gotten rid of a lot of that dead space because of the pitch clock. So that's part of it, too. But I do think that I I don't like to rip on Tom McCarthy because I think McCarthy's fine. You know, I think he seems like he seems like a super nice guy. I think he does a good job in big moments. I think where he is at his weakest is when he's trying to fill and have a conversation. Um, Not that he can't talk to people, but it just it, it it's it's not like I mean, I think what they're. We've heard what it can be with the Manning cast, you know, when you when you just have conversation during the course of a game, and that in in that respect, it's very interesting because of the personalities involved. And I just feel like there's just not a lot of uh, personality sometimes in in the booth in situations like this. And that's just everybody's got different strengths. Like I think if you had Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, and and you know a bunch of uh, uh, Mets old guys in there, that would probably be really entertaining. It's just a, it's not their. St- strength. It's not their skill set. I mean, John Crux up there, he can help, but Mike Schmidt doesn't offer anything 
He doesn't bring anything no, to the table. No. He used to. Schmidt used to be really good. And when he was when he first retired and he was in the booth and he was the color guy, he was very engaged and a very good color commentator. He just he just is he's just there now to kind of, you know, spur the moment, whatever pops into his head. There's no prep there. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons why it didn't really work. I think the I think the biggest reason though is the fact that it wasn't as interesting in what we were trying to watch on the field. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Phillies are at this pivotal point in their season. They're finally, you know, hitting the ball the way they're they're supposed to. They they had a chance today to finish out this homestand really cleanly, take all three series. Uh, and yeah, obviously there was a lot of good vibes in the air because it was alumni weekend. But uh, you sit in for three innings of Greg Luzinski calling John Crook fat and John Crook asking Larry <laughs> Bo why he was giving him the finger. I mean, there's a there's a level of entertainment to it. But you're right. Then there's also just lulls. And yeah. like, look, that's not an easy job. It's certainly it's it's a, actually one of the hardest parts it of is. his job, I would imagine, for Tom yeah. McCarthy to just fill time yep. when you're like asking questions of you know. There's a reason some of these guys are just alumni and not in the booth and not broadcasters because mm-hmm. they're just not you know they don't they don't have that gene where it's like yeah no i can i know how to answer a question i know how to be engaging like yeah this is uh this is this is this is entertainment to an extent as well uh and some of them you know are just a more of an awkward interview or aren't as comfortable on camera and you know it doesn't matter i'm not like offended or mad about it but it's just yeah when you're all you're doing is filling time and in your head you're just like if no one else talks literally i have to I'm fighting off silence for this entire segment yeah. and like, Oh crap. The Phillies just overthrew first base. So the innings going on even longer. Like, you know, yeah, that's a challenge. So it does, it does pull focus. <laughs> certainly. Even though, you know, if they want to, if they want to tell us a bunch of stuff about like behind the scenes stuff, uh, from their playing days. Yeah, yeah. Give me some juice then. Yeah. Give I me something I can use by that. I, yep. I remember Larry Anderson. It was either Anderson or Kruk talking about how they were always like, Oh, we should just one of these nights after y'all. You know, it's a uh, game's over, and we've had a couple of beers. Um, we'll just crash in the locker room. Like, why go home? We'll just sleep on the training room tables. And they like, he was like, oh, huge mistake. Waking up like four to six times throughout the night, hearing noises. It's boiling hot. They're like, this was stupid. This was one of our dumbest decisions. Stuff yeah. like that is like really funny. And I, yeah, I would love to hear more stuff like that. But they were really relying on like these guys very real and natural friendship with each other and like their chemistry with each other to kind of like pay off on the air as well. And it just, it's not, it's not always doing that, but I think it was just just, too much of it too. Yeah, exactly. I think they got overexposed. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 I think that's right. I think a little bit is good. A little bit of a little sprinkle it in here and there. It was just a little bit too much uh, for my taste during the course of the weekend, but you know, full, full marks for effort, you know, and you you can never fault the Phillies with this kind of stuff for effort. So um, they did a, they did a good, they do a good job. And of course now we wait for Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Carlos Ruiz to get on the wall of fame. I don't know what we're waiting for with that one. Are we, you know, waiting for number retirement ceremonies? Are we waiting for a hall of fame? It's not going to happen with Ryan Howard, but like, I'm not sure why none of those guys have gotten on the wall of fame just yet, but uh, we await to see if that will happen next year. All right, Justin, uh, wrapping up the podcast here. Time for a final thought if you have one. Yeah, uh, speaking of alumni weekend, I did really enjoy. Uh, and yeah, let me, to be clear, you know, it wasn't like a constant suffering situation when these guys were on the air. Uh, and this was one of the moments that I really enjoyed was that Mike Lieberthal is one of the few guys there representing an era of Phillies baseball that none of the other guys are really representing. Yeah, because he just played through a pennantless, 
you know, attempted a rebuild, uh, starting and stopping era where they were almost there. They were no, some years they weren't even close to there. And uh, it's just interesting to me. I always like that he, he found his way onto the wall of fame. I think it's totally deserved. I was a big Mike Lieberthal fan when I was a kid, but it was really funny today to hear him talking in the booth about he's apparently just now making all these comments about how like oh they were putting a ring on his finger for alumni weekend and he was like wow this is the closest i'll ever get to a world series and, <laughs> oh, and like just endless like kind of stinging commentary about how he just missed uh i think people probably bring it up to him all the time how he missed two uh big playoff yeah. runs by one year on either side uh, of his career. I think he's just tired of being told that. So now he just brings it up all the time. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed his just kind of like addressing reality. Like this is, this is the situation. Yes. I was a great young catcher. No, we never really got there while I was here. Yeah. I guess I was important enough to the organization that they have honored me in this way. But looking back, boy, really <laughs> sucks. I got nice. <laughs> to sit here while these guys talk about their cool, fun playoff runs. And I'm like, yeah. well, I, I caught Carlton lower. I, <laughs> I got Brandon Duckworth's first ever ball. <laughs> and, and he has to know, too, that if the, he had played in an era with two or three wild cards, he probably would have made the playoffs. Absolutely. I know for a fact he absolutely would have made the playoffs in one of those years. So, um, yeah, that's a kick in the pants. Uh Poor Mike Lieberthal. I'm, I Poor feel bad. Mike Lieberthal. <laughs> I really feel bad for the guy now. I think every, every couple of years I write an article, the whole premise is just poor Mike Poor Mike Lieberthal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? If it works, but you haven't read it, it's new to you, you know? So, um, and I want to just uh, throw a quick uh, shout out to uh, to Media Little League, uh, Delco representing uh, the little uh, Pennsylvania in the Little League World Series uh, that's getting started this week. Um, I think uh, they hit a walk-off home run to win one nothing to go. I think it was their only hit of the game, if I think if I saw it right. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. Um, but uh, Media Little League uh, is going to represent Pennsylvania in the Little League World Series. Uh, Delco representing. Uh, so congratulations uh, to the guys out in Media uh, for for making it to uh, to Williamsport. Very 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 cool and a, just that's a, very cool. Unbelievable way of getting there. Just absolutely tremendous content. All right, everybody, look, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Um, want to remind you all, the Patreon. Get to the Hit and Season Patreon. That's where you can hear uh, 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 The Dirty Inning and Absolutely Hammered. Go to patreon.com slash hit and season. And want to just remind you to leave a five-star rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, we can be heard on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Tell a friend about the podcast as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season. Hit and Season.